this morning we are uh, continuing in Romans, and uh, but we're going to take a little bit of a, a sidetrack before we get there. You know, when I was taking, um, when I started taking piano lessons, well, I took them when I was a kid, and I kind of, uh, you know, I didn't really love it. All right, I was just learning sheet music. I learned to read a little bit, uh, but then when I was a, a freshman in high school, all my buddies had a band. They, one played guitar, one played bass, and one played the drums, and they said, we could use a keyboard player. And so, you know, they had like three songs. Uh, one of them was Sweet Home Alabama. And uh, I walked into my, uh, a piano lesson from a teacher named Chris Lafferty, a guy I taught at the Mountain Arts Center. And uh, I told him, I said, I'm not really excited about learning the piano. He said, well, what, what do you want to learn to play? I said, uh, Sweet Home Alabama would be great. And he started playing it on the piano and, like, got me hooked. Like, oh, that's cool. You can do that on the piano. I want to learn to do that. And so he, he began this process when I was learning to play that I would come in and spend about 15, I started taking hour lessons eventually because I just fell in love with it, thought at one point music was all I was going to do in my life, and uh, was playing all the time, practicing all the time. But he would bring me in, and he would spend 30 minutes teaching me, like, classical music, music theory, jazz standards, like all this stuff that I really didn't care about, except for when the second 30 minutes and he started playing Eric Clapton and Koreans Clearway, he's saying, here's what you learned, here's how you use it, all right, so he would keep me hooked to get me learning all the stuff I really needed to know that made sense for me to do the things I want to do, so what I want to tell you is Romans is a little bit like that, okay, we're going to spend some time and depth here to understand what Paul's talking about. Because you have to understand it. We can't just take a verse and a word out of context and begin to apply it and do things with it. We have to understand where he's coming from, why he wrote it. But I promise we're going to get to some Sweet Home Alabama. Is that all right? Last week felt like an hour in classical music and learning. Right? There's a lot of stuff last week. Uh, we're not, it's not always going to be like that. All right, so today we're going to have some fun. Is that all right? I read these verses. Here's, a, here's what I had in mind. I was like, I got through Romans 8. I made it. We did it. God, you, you were there. Uh, and the truth that is in it is in it, and we can't do, we can't change that. And I was like, I think I just, let's go preach on some miracles of Jesus for like the rest of my life. I didn't want to get into the meaty stuff, and I thought, well, I'll keep doing Romans. Romans 9, 10, and 11, I'll just take three chapters at once and get through like this next part. And so I read the first five verses, and God said, nope, these five are enough for Sunday. And I read, as I read them, and then I started to read kind of the commentary and the things behind it, and it's like every time I come to verses, I'm like, here we go, we're preaching on more verses, I know God's word is amazing, but you get to some, and you're like, I can't preach on that. And then you study it, and the Spirit gets a hold of you. He's like, look at this truth here. These, you need to know this. These people need to know this. This verse is, I'm going to read them before I put them up there. We'll go in detail in a minute. Uh, but I want to go somewhere first before we dive in. It says, I speak the truth in Christ. This is Paul. He starts out by saying, literally, I'm not lying to you. Remember what he finished in Romans 8. He just gave this promise, this security, this comfort of the Holy Spirit and the power and that nothing could come against you. Right? He's giving us all this comfort. And then he goes into chapter 9, verse 1. and says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Great sorrow. That's the Greek word megas that we get mega. He has 
this just this burning anguish unceasing in his heart. And he's telling you, I'm telling you the truth about this. I got this anguish in my heart. And then here's what he said. For This is the truth, I think, that he wanted people to understand. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. And here's what I got out of this verse, that Paul was a term I've used two or three times in the last sermons. Like I come to a verse, and y'all probably heard me say it, and said, it wrecked me. And I sense that from Paul here. Like his emotional state was out of sorts. His heart was a mess. And he was wrecked, okay? That's the title of this morning's sermon. Because something had happened in Paul's life. I'm going to take you back to Acts chapter 9 just briefly because you've got to understand who is this man writing this letter? Why does he care so much? And what does he care about? He cares about his people, his neighbors, his kinsmen, his, the people he grew up with. He's, he, he's, a, the, he's one of the people of Israel. And he's saying, I care so much about them. I've got to move this microphone. I'll kick it or something. Today, we will be wrecked, a mess. He's saying, you know what? I care so much. Cut me off from Christ. I, give, I would give up my own salvation for these people. Man, and that just convicted the fire out of me, just to be honest. Because I said, do I feel that? Am I in that type of emotional state over my neighbor? And those in my family and those that I know that have not latched on to the truth of Christ that are lost? I didn't know, so I wanted to understand about Paul. Paul used to be a man named Saul. Y'all probably heard, if you've been around church at any time, Saul of Tarsus on, his, on the road to Damascus. You've probably heard this story. If you've never heard that story, that's great. I'm getting ready to tell it to you. If you've heard it, hang on. We're going through it again, and not in great detail, but enough to get us this understanding. of Why is Paul so wrecked? Why does he care so much about these other people? If you go to Acts chapter 9, you'll find the story of Paul's conversion. Saul was an absolute, horrid, terrible man. He was absolutely all against Christianity. He had been raised in the Jewish faith. He was, he was basically, if you would imagine in our culture, to give you some illustration, he was poised to go on to the Supreme Court of the United States on the Sanhedrin. He was the best of the best. He'd studied with Gamaliel, this great teacher. I mean, he was, he was ready to go. And he was full of zeal to protect the Jewish faith and by, by large part, Israel and the Jewish faith and the, the religion at the time, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, Sadducees, had all decided Jesus had come and he was not the Messiah. And, and, and Saul, this is the old Paul, had taken it upon himself to say, we got to stamp this thing called Christianity out. And he began going on a warpath, arresting Christians, murdering Christians, picking up the clothes of the people who stoned the first martyr, Stephen, the guy who died. Saul was standing there. He was a terrible man. But something happened in his life through an interruption. And I want to talk to you just a minute about how God can wreck you and how he wrecked 
Saul. And there's things happening in your life here right now. This is not my plan. I did not have this on the calendar for 2021 and have it on the calendar for 2020. This is not, things are not what I thought they were. This is just a total mess. I've been completely interrupted in life. And this is exactly what happened to Saul. He's just making his way. He had great plans. He was going to Damascus. He had gotten permission to go to that town, find all the Christians, arrest them, murder them if he had to, whatever he had to do. That was his plan. And he absolutely believed that Jesus was a false prophet, that everything about him needed to be shut down. Okay, that's Saul. He's on his way. And this is what happens. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I mean, I think there's power in that word of him saying me. He was going out killing people, but he said, why are you persecuting me? Maybe he lived in those people. And Saul says, who are you, Lord? Saul asks. And let me tell you about this moment in Saul's life that is transformational. And it happens to you when you get saved, and it'll happen to you throughout your Christian life that, that we know if God's working everything to good, then he is absolutely present during every interruption that comes into our life when things don't go the way we wish they would have or thought they should. And in this moment, Saul's life's getting ready to change in two ways. One, his plans are in shambles. All right? The second way is that his reality has fallen through. He was so convinced Jesus was false. He was so convinced he was doing the good thing, that he was protecting God. And all of a sudden, God speaks these words after he struck him down the road, and he says, I am Jesus. (laughs) I mean, you can't imagine what Saul must have been thinking and feeling in that moment. The thing he thought reality was one way, but I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought, and all of a sudden things are totally different than the reality he had in his mind. He says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. I want you to find a couple things here, and I don't know in your life what plans are in shambles. Maybe it's uh, a career, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your family. Um, we can hear from, from, from chapter 8 of Romans that though our plans may fall into shambles, that God's plans never fall to shambles. Then in this moment, I mean, I mean, Saul was this great planner, strategy. We find it, he, God uses that gift eventually to, to plant all these churches all across the known world as a first missionary. He was a planner, a strategist. He had a plan, a perfect plan in his mind. And it all fallen apart. You find right after this, he, he stands up, everybody's standing there, and all, all his friends that were with him, and he's blind for three days, and things begin. God begins to work in his life. But his plans have fallen to shambles. And maybe you've been at a spot where things just are not what you thought they were. That you had an idea of the church. And that it was self-righteous and that it was judgmental. 
and that the church is the problem. And if all of a sudden you, you give in just a little bit enough to hear the truth from the word and you realize the church is not a building or, or just a, a group of, of, of independent people who have joined a club, that the, the real church is God's people and that it lives and breathes outside of a building. There's three things you learn in these moments, these moments of interruption. Anybody had an interruption? Anybody in the middle of an interruption? I've been in so many. It's like, it's really just from one to the next. All right? In life, it's really from one to the next. I mean, maybe you got, maybe you lost your job. Maybe you found out uh, uh, something that you just wish you'd have never known about your spouse. Maybe you thought this man of your dreams was going to be perfect, and he turns out to be abusive. Maybe... Maybe, maybe you thought drugs were going to be the best thing that ever happened to you and it ends up getting a control of your life and it wrecks it. I don't know what it is. But you, things are not what you thought they were. And here's three things that happened with Saul. One, God said this. He wanted him to know. You get clarity about your relationship with God in these moments. Okay, in these moments, you really begin to understand who God is, how much he loves you, how he can care for you in difficult times and good times. And all of a sudden, Saul's entire thought process about God is completely different. He has this clarity that, whoa, I'm on the wrong side of the, the battle line here. I'm in the wrong battle zone. I'm fighting the wrong person. The very, the very God I thought I was fighting to protect, I'm fighting Against and he finds new clarity about his relationship. He said, I got a man for you to know, and, and, and he's telling Saul, Maybe you should stop playing God and thinking you got all the plans for your life and you got everything figured out, and you need to listen to me just for a minute. Here's why he needed Saul to listen because if you see at the verse 6, he's got a place for Saul to go. Now get up and go into the city. Now that you know who I am, I got a place for you to go. And in this, we see this moment that God is seeking in your interruption. You better pay attention to who he is. He's there. Understand, gain clarity about who he is. And the second thing, he's got a place for you to go. But this is really about obedience. Okay, he needs Saul to be obedient in this moment to get up and go. And we find in our obedience, God begins to reveal purpose. When he interrupts our life, he's, he's trying to get our attention, to look at him, look him in the eyes, let everything else fall apart and realize that, that, every, that you've lost everything maybe. But in that moment, you realize that all you need is all you've got left, and that is him. He's going to look at you and say, I've got a work for you. I need you to be obedient to me. I can't tell you exactly. He said, go there, and then you will be told what you must do. He had to go to the city first before he was going to find out what plan and purpose God had for his life. You see, Saul gets up off that road in this moment, a totally different man. That can happen to you. A totally different woman, a totally different man, because something happened in Saul and his heart changed. And the very man, and eventually God changes his name to Paul. And he becomes 
the greatest early missionary of the early church. He goes from uh, taking lives to spreading life, to preaching life, to taking Jesus to people who were lost. And, and because Paul in this moment realized that he was saved. He had a new clarity about his relationship with God. In Romans 9, we find this moment, we find this truth, and I want you to get the essence of what I want to say today. Um, That in these interruptions, in these moments, when it brings clarity to your relationship with God, know he's there in those moments. We find what this does for this man called Saul. It poured gas on his fire for his neighbor. Okay? We might get tempted to say, man, I've been saved. God got a hold of me. I've been saved. He changed my life. I can't wait to go to church and worship him. And I'm just going to live out my, my, my cozy Christian life with all my Hobby Lobby signs and eating a Chick-fil-A. And it's just so much fun. God saved me. And it's just a it's just good, and it's all about me. God, thank you for saving me. And, and yet we see in Saul's life something different. We see when his eyes open, he goes to the marketplace. He goes to the synagogue. He goes out to the streets and said, I need to tell you about what happened to me. And we see it even still existing here when he's writing this letter to the Romans in chapter 9 and verses 1 through 5. Even though we find that, that Paul was called, God was going to use him to reach the Gentiles, people who were not Jews. See, before Saul thought those were the only people who were lost, that all the Jews had it all together, and they were perfect, and they didn't need saved. But here we find in Romans chapter 9 this burden that is in, on Saul's, Paul's life. I'm going to call him Paul from now on. You got that Saul and Paul is the same person. Is that We got that all right. But Paul's a new man. You know, God can give you a new name. You may have one reputation. You may have lived your whole life one way. Everybody may think one thing about you. They did that about him. When he finally got back to Jerusalem, all the Christians ran. They didn't know he'd been saved. They didn't know God got his heart. They knew that guy kills Christians. They didn't want to be around him. They ran. They didn't know God had given him a new name, a new purpose, a new cause, changed his heart. God can do the same for you. Now that we understand Paul, we're going to read these verses again. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I want you to to see Paul's anguish here. Uh, for, for what it is and how much he cares. Because he wasn't the only one. He's not the only one. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, Jesus himself spoke as he saw the people who had gra- gathered around him. It says he had great compassion for them. Again, you go back into the Greek and these, these words, this anguish, I don't know, have you all ever been so wrecked so, so life has been so interrupted. Things have gone so wrong, so bad. Like in, 
that you, sometimes you hurt from your heart. But the depth of this literally meant from the bowels. I'm not going to get in graphics there. But they literally, it was like, it's such a burden for other people that they couldn't eat. That, that they were in the pit of their stomach. You've heard that before. Like There was just this aching, this gnawing, this, this unceasing anguish, great sorrow in his heart. You, you, you cannot take the actions and go and do the things that God has for our church, for his church to do, until you care. And we see it over and over. We see in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. Nehemiah, he finds out about his hometown. The walls are all destroyed in Jerusalem. And he's got this great place, this position of power, working for the king. And it says, he sat down and wept when he found out the truth. Before he started doing anything, his heart was broken. We've seen the story of Jonah when God's saying, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh and preach to these people. That, that Nineveh, uh, that, that Jonah's like, you remember my sermon on the first chapter of Jonah? Who remembers it? it one word title. That's just, who's got one? Oh, God, nobody, the fake, fake volunteer. It was simple. It was nope. How many times have you told God no? I mean, Jonah had the ultimate of all interruptions. You know, I'm just saying ended up in the belly of a well. When God got a hold of his attention, he was brokenhearted. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll go do whatever you want me to do. And we see before we can go and do the things, we really have to care. But it's really hard in our cozy Christian life, just to be honest. I mean, this got a hold of me. I mean, I come and preach every Sunday morning. I'm studying God's Word every week. I'm trying to figure out how we can outreach and, and change our, our community and region, what God is calling us to do. And I see, I see Paul here wrecked in a way that I'm probably not. And I'm praying, God, show me this. Give me this. That he had this care for his neighbor. He goes on as he's Speaking the truth, I mean, there's, there's an element here that just take this as an aside. Honesty and integrity is really important <laughs> in your life and in how you operate and how you operate in your marriage and your business and your job. Honesty and integrity are really important. So, I mean, Paul's saying, I speak the truth. I'm not lying. Not that anybody thought Paul would lie. He was getting serious. They had such a sorrow in his heart that he himself... would go to hell for his neighbor. I mean, that's, like, he, he, he's not speaking literally. He knows he can't lose his salvation. He knows he's not going to lose his salvation, but he's saying, I care so much. I'm telling you the truth. In my heart of hearts, I care so much about my brothers and my sisters that I've grown up with, my, my kinsmen, that I would give it all up for myself if they would be saved. And he goes on with his assessment of them. He says, For I wish I could be cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. 
And then he gets into this. He says, there's the adoption of the sonship. There's the divine glory, Shekinah, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Heirs of the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God all over, is God over all. Don't you like that? He's God over all. Not some things. He is God over all, forever praised. Amen. That's his five verses. And here's what he's saying. He's like, God, I can't eat. I'm so worried. I, I care so much. I wish they'd find the truth. I remember being in their shoes when I didn't understand who Jesus really was. And let me tell you, it's a shame that they don't get it. Because you know what? God chose them. God gave them all these promises. This is the very group. He, he came into their temple, into their synagogues, into their people. He gave them the laws and the, the commands. And, and, and you know what? From their own ancestry came the Messiah, and they are the ones who crucified him. And I think about our, 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 ourselves and where we grew up, and as you begin to understand other parts of the world, and you know, there's not a church on every corner and you begin to ask yourself are there uh, the the people here when you see the statistics it says 13 percent of people are going to church on Sunday mornings that was pre-COVID 85 87 percent are not plugged into Christ that are lost and do we care do we care enough to do more than come in on Sunday mornings and rest in our own salvation what God has given us I think that salvation that we get should put a fire on us to spread the message of life and maybe sometimes we're the own victim of church on every corner we had it so good so many people have heard the story of Jesus that's become second nature they've heard the gospel and maybe there have been some churches that that did it an injustice, that actually disenfranchised people from the gospel, that said, if that's the gospel and those are those people. But let me tell you, when you get the true message of Christ to people, it turns Saul's into Paul's. It changes hearts. As I was kind of working through this and thinking, um, uh, thinking, thinking about what it, what it means to have this kind of care that, that you move from when, when God gets a hold of you, it becomes uh, not about you. You know, Harker has been all in. Uh, he, he went through the blippy stage. Any of y'all have toddlers? They're like, yeah, I know what that is. Uh, those of you don't, uh, you can YouTube it and you'll have fun all afternoon. It's a guy in an orange and blue hat and bow tie and, you know, it's, it's, it, it, lots of learning happens there. Uh, but he moved into this stage of cars. Y'all remember the movie Cars? Y'all seen that movie? And uh, he was watching it the other day. Uh, I mean, like, it's always on and playing in the background at this point in our life. Uh, but I, I caught this segment um, where the Hudson Hornet, y'all remember the Hudson Hornet? Doc Hudson, and he was... He, and for McQueen, McQueen was this car that, that wanted it all for him, right? He wanted to win every race. It was all about him. He wanted the big sponsor. He wanted the spotlight. He wanted to be on the stage. He didn't need any help. I mean, he was awful to his crew at the beginning, and, and he's going to this next big race, the Piston Cup, and, and he gets lost, and he ends up in this little podunk town 
uh, called, what's it called? Radiator Springs, that's it. It ends up in Radiator Springs, and it's on Route 66, and after the interstate come through, the whole town shut down. It's a ghost town. Every business is like they're just out on town. Everybody's looking at the road praying a customer comes through today, and they've all kind of given up on life. But he meets a guy there, uh, Doc Hudson, who nobody knows him in the town for who he really is, but he was once a champion. He was once a three-time Piston Cup winner. And even McQueen doesn't know who he is, but in this relationship, he, 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 the, the, this Doc Hudson is trying to teach McQueen how to race and teach him things and teach him things about character and life. And he's trying to teach him how to race in the dirt, and he tells him to go left, you got to go right. And you know, McQueen's like, you're an idiot, and he never gets it right. And then McQueen sneaks out, and he sees Doc Hudson in this moment where he goes and he does this race through the desert that McQueen can never do. He keeps going over the cliffs, and he sees Doc Hudson do it like, and in that interruption of McQueen's life, he's ended up in this little town that's podunk, that is not the Dinoco, it's not the best sponsor, nobody even knows where he is, and he messed up the whole town, they've got him in prison, so he fixed the road, and, and he sees this guy who he thinks is a nobody or nothing, who's actually a somebody. And he sees him run this race perfect, I, wanna, I, got, I think I got a clip on here, I want you to hear this little interaction between Doc Hudson and McQueen, because I'm hearing it, I'm like, that's God, this is, this is, this is exactly what God is saying. This is what God does in our life. This is what he, he speaks to us. Doc, wait! He's seen him run this race perfect. He saw him do, the, do it in the desert perfect. Come on, Randy! Doc, hold it. Seriously, your driving's incredible. Wonderful. But go away. Hey, I mean it. You've still got it. I'm asking you to leave. Come on, I'm a race car. You're... A much older race car, but under the hood, you and I are the same. We are not the same. Understand? Now get out. How could a car like you quit at the top of your game? You think I quit? His reality's changing. expecting a big welcome. You know what they said? Your history moves right on to the next book he's standing in line. There was a lot left in me. I never got a chance to show him. I keep that to remind me never to go back. I just never expected that that world would, would find me here. Hey, look, Doc, I'm not them. Oh, yeah? No, I'm not. When is the last time you cared about something except yourself, Hot Rod? You name me one time, and I will take it all back. Uh-huh. I didn't think so. When's one time you didn't think about yourself, he asked McQueen, and in that moment, starting to flash, he's starting to see, my whole life has been all about me. And he, he begins to do this, this, this other thing. When he sees somebody caring for him, like when God cares for us, he goes out and starts to do something neat. He finishes paving the town. You know what he does? He goes to every 
little merchant in the town. He gets new tires from Luigi. He's not sold tires in months and years. Like he cares about Luigi that he's not sold any tires. He, he cares about, uh, uh, what's his girlfriend's name? Sally. He cares about Sally. He goes fix all the lights for Sally. Uh, you know, he's getting stickers and a paint job from the body, you know, guy. And, and, and so he, he starts to care about everybody else. And he ends up back at the Piston Cup. And Doc Hudson has told him, he's like, those cups are just empty cups to me. It wasn't all about winning. But for McQueen, it was all about winning and just change was going on in him. And so he's in this final race. And they were in a three-way tie at the beginning of the movie. And he's racing two other cars. i got to give you a little bit in case you haven't seen it or you've not seen it in a while. And there's three cars racing this final race. One is the king. This is the guy who's been racing for a long time. He's always won. He's getting ready to retire. This is his last race. And then there's the other guy. I can't remember his name. Chicks. Chick. Hicks. This other guy, he's a green car. He's young. He's arrogant. He's a lot like McQueen. He's racing. He's all about him. He's going to win. All right? So they're in this, this long race, just the three of them, to settle a three-way tie. And uh, this is what happens at the end. I am not coming in behind you again, old man. What are you doing, kid? I think the king should finish his last race. <laughs> you just gave up the piston cup. You know that? Ah, this grumpy old race car I know once told me something. It's just an empty cup. Daryl, is pushing on the last lap legal? Hey, man, he's not really pushing him. He's just giving him a little bump grab. <laughs> hey, what? What's going on? You see McQueen push uh, the king across the finish line. It was no longer about winning for him. It was about somebody else. To be honest, when I thought about this clip, I was thinking uh, what got to put on my heart was really like we need to be like McQueen. We need to go care about the people who are in the infield that are a wreck. And I was thinking, actually, I had not even connected that the title of the message was wrecked, and I was using a car's illustration until I was on my way here this morning. And then and I was talking to Bethany about it, and she went, oh, my. Because I think what God is really saying is that we are all sitting in the infield wrecked. And that times in our life, we need somebody to push us across the finish line. And that somebody that pushes us across the finish line is Jesus Christ. 
the, the race we could not finish, the perfection we could not be, the righteousness that we are not are we have but one hope is that Jesus slams on the brakes and comes and rescues our soul by his grace and his mercy. But I think it's still true that once God gives us that, we begin to care about the others and gives us a burden. And that there will be times that God puts on your heart to go push somebody across the finish line, to share the gospel with them, to share the truth with them, to care about them. And so I ask Two questions, really. Do you know the state of your neighbor, your coworker, your friend? I'm not talking about just the house across the street. I'm talking about the people we interact with. Not just their physical, or you know, not just during this difficult time of the flood. I'm not. I'm not just saying that. Do you know the state of their soul? And if we really are excited about what we've gotten and found the source of life. We should have this burden. I mean, in our heart, we should be wrecked in a way that wants to share it with them. God never interrupts your life just for you. He'll use it to bring clarity in your relationship to God, and he did it just for Saul. I'm going to save Saul. I'm going to use him. But I'm not just going to use him for himself. I'm going to use him to grow my kingdom. And we all have a role to play in that. We're going to get ready and do one more song of invitation here this morning. I don't know. I don't know where you are as it relates to your life. And you may be saying, right now all my plans are going perfect. Everything's just the way I think it should be. I've got no surprises coming into my life. But there's some of you here this morning that's saying, I had plans. It's in shambles. I thought things were one way, but they're another. My reality has fallen through, and it's left me with nothing except to look toward Jesus. I'm asking you in that moment to give it to him. To trust him, to follow him, to be obedient in what he has for you to do. And it's not just about you. God has people he's surrounded you with, people you know in your network that he wants to shine a light in their life. We get wrecked because of the mercy and grace that God has given us. And in that, we should have this unceasing anguish for our neighbors we only we hear a lot of talk about revival uh, revival does not break out as long as all we care about is ourselves. as long as we're going to be cozy at Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A it's, it's got, revival does not break out until we care so as you stand this morning, what do we care about? What's the mercy and the grace? The fact that death 
was arrested on the cross of Calvary. That Jesus proved victorious over death and Satan and hell and all things that come against us and the church when he was resurrected. And this morning we're going to celebrate that. As we celebrate it, we're going to pray, God, wreck me this morning. Because I know some people are standing here right now saying, all right, that's a great sermon, whatever. I've got to get to Chick-fil-A. Because I, I feel the hint of it. But we're going to pray in this moment during this song, God, you are the one that strikes people down on the road to Damascus. Put in my heart this hunger, this care for my neighbor, for those that don't know the truth of who you are. And use me in any way you can to push them across the finish line.